Father in heaven, as the world goes to pieces, may we find that our relationship with you is only growing stronger and deeper and more meaningful. May we not get caught up in the sensation of what's going on, but may we keep our eyes fixed upon you as our leader to lead us through all of this. I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit this morning to speak to our hearts. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the big island of Hawaii, you can visit today the ancient ruins of a large enclosure whose stone walls were measured at 17 feet thick at the base. It went up about 10 feet high and enclosed several hundred acres of land right there on the coast just south of the city of Kona. The city was anciently dedicated during the time of Hawaiian occupation for those people who broke kapow law. These were sacred Hawaiian laws that if they were broken, there was an immediate sentence of execution that was pronounced upon the individual. There are a long list of these sacred laws that you can read online if you choose to. But if the individual who broke the sacred Hawaiian laws was able to flee to the city, this place of refuge, they would there be able to find safety from the executioner. The high priest who resided inside of this this enclosure would perform a ceremony of purification and forgiveness for the individual who broke the laws. And shortly thereafter, he would be able to reintegrate into society only if he went and found forgiveness at the Hawaiian city of refuge. You know, I find it interesting, you know, if you go back into ancient Chinese culture, into Hawaiian culture, many of the ancient cultures, you actually find fragments of biblical teachings. The story of the Hawaiian cities of refuge is anchored in an Old Testament teaching in the book of Joshua. It's actually even before Joshua, but this morning we're going to look at Joshua. If you go with me there, Joshua chapter 20 where God instituted cities of refuge among his people to find safety in time of need. And just like the Hawaiian cities of refuge, an individual went there, he would actually find an ability to restart, to, in a sense, have a new life. Because if he didn't, he would die. So those who went to the ancient cities of refuge during the time of Moses and Joshua would be able to start their lives over again, finding safety within the walls of these cities. Joshua chapter 20, 
Beginning in verse 1, we'll look at the whole chapter quickly here together this morning. Verse 1, the Bible says this, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spoke unto you by the hand of Moses. During the time of Joshua, there were six cities of refuge that were distributed evenly throughout the people of Israel. There were three on one side of the banks of the Jordan River. There were three on the other side of the Jordan River, and they were strategically placed throughout God's people for it to be close, very close proximity to every single one of them. At least one city would be in close proximity. The Bible goes on and it says this in verse 3, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither and shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. There was a very primitive system of justice that existed during the time of ancient Israel. And it went something like this. If one person took the life of another individual, the one who was killed, his closest relative, would be given the responsibility to avenge the blood of his family member. He would go and he would find the slayer and he would take his life. That was the primitive system of justice at the time. The Lord did not set this system up. He did not look favorably upon it, but for some reason he did not choose to remove it, but he worked with it. And so he established these cities of refuge for individuals who accidentally took the life of somebody else. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives us an example of this where two men would go off into the woods to cut down trees and one man, as he was swinging his axe to cut the tree down, the axe head flew off the axe handle and hit somebody else in the head and killed them. It was not a premeditated murder, but under the system of justice at the time, the closest relative could take the life of the man who accidentally killed his family member. And so in that situation, the only place of safety that that individual could find was to run to the place nearest to him that was designated as a city of refuge. Now the Bible goes on and it tells us this in verse 4 through 6. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in the city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Now, the Bible goes on and it lists the six different cities of refuge in verses 7 and 8. You can read that on your own if you choose to. But then there's an interesting little piece of information here in verse 9. The Bible says, These are the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for who? 
the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation for judgment. I think if you are spiritually in tune, as you read Joshua chapter 20, you will see very quickly that there are many spiritual applications that can be made to this chapter. There are a lot of parallels that parallel the stories of the city of refuge with our own personal spiritual journey as we go to Jesus, our city of refuge. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter uh, 46 that we read this morning, that God is our what? Refuge and our strength, the very present help in time of trouble. The Bible also tells us in Psalms chapter 91 and verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Do we have a city of refuge, spiritually speaking, yes or no? We do. It's in Jesus. As we go to him, we find safety. Now, who are we finding safety from? Who is it that is trying to take our life? Who is the avenger of blood, if you will? The Bible tells us that the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may, what? Devour. Revelation 12, 12, the Bible says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So Jesus is a city of refuge for us in our spiritual lives. Satan is the one who is in hot pursuit. He is the avenger of blood, if you will. And who is it that he is pursuing? Us. But let's not be too haughty. He's not just, a, he's not just uh, pursuing God's people. He's pursuing anybody he can get He is in the business of destruction. He is in the business of destroying people. And he is in the business of trying to do everything he can to remove the opportunity of eternal life from anybody who might have an inkling to give their heart to the Lord. There are many spiritual applications and parallels that we can find as we look at the stories of the city of refuge. We see that Jesus is our refuge, that the devil is the one is pursuing, and he is pursuing people in this world to try to pull them away from God before they find safety and refuge in a relationship with him. Listen to this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 516, it says this. The cities of refuge appointed for God's ancient people were a symbol of the refuge provided in Christ. What were the ancient cities of refuge? They were a symbol. Symbol. As you look at the story of the cities of refuge, you find there illustrated for you the refuge that God provides for us in Christ. The same merciful Savior, she goes on, who appointed those temporal cities of refuge has, by the shedding of his own blood, provided for the transgressors of his law a sure retreat into which they may flee for safety from the second death. Now, don't miss this last part. No power, how much power? No power can take out of his hand the soul that go to him for pardon. Let the people of God say amen. No power can take out of his hand the souls that go to him for pardon. As we run to Jesus, as we find safety and refuge in a relationship with him, for there is only safety and refuge in a relationship with Christ, as we go to him and we find that safety, there is no power upon this earth that can take us 
away from that safety that we find in Jesus. In fact, the only one that can remove that hedge of safety is yourself. You are the only one that can remove yourself out of that place of protection. By God's grace, we will not choose to do that. This morning, I want to share with you six things in our study together that we can learn from the story of the cities of refuge. And for the first one, I'm going to invite you to go with me to the book of Acts. Keep your finger in in, uh, Joshua because we're going to come back to that. Acts chapter 4, as you turn there. Acts chapter 4. We find, as you are turning there, that the only hope that this slayer had, this man who unwittingly, accidentally took the life of somebody else, the only hope that he had at that moment was to go to the city of refuge. That was the only hope he had. It was the only hope of safety. It was the only hope of protection. It was the only hope of preserving his life was to go to the city of refuge. Is it any different for us today, yes or no? What is our hope of safety? What is our hope of protection? What is the hope that we have in maintaining our eternal life, uh, receiving the gift of eternal life? What is the only hope that we have? The only hope that we have is to flee to Jesus, our city of refuge. Would you say amen? Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By virtue of that, you should die. You should die at the hand of the slayer, uh, the avenger of blood, Satan. But the good news is that we can flee from him and we can run to Jesus and he will forgive us for those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only hope that this man had, the fugitive, was to run to the city of refuge. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says this, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be what? Our case is a desperate one. We cannot save ourselves and there is no institution, there is no man-made denomination or church or group of people that can bring salvation to any other person. The only way is to flee to Jesus, our city of refuge. Would you say amen? Patriarchs and Prophets continues and it says this, he who fled to the cities of refuge could make no delay. How much delay? None. Family and employment were left behind. There was no time to say farewell to loved ones. His life was at stake, and every other interest must be sacrificed to the one purpose, to reach the place of safety. Is it any different for us? Everything must be put on the altar to reach the place of safety. Family, occupation, whatever it may be that stands in the way of a relationship with God must be put on the altar so that we can find refuge in Jesus. She goes on, weariness was forgotten. Difficulties were unheeded. The fugitive dared not for a moment slacken his pace until he was within the walls of the city. You can imagine with me in your mind, the man in the woods cutting down the trees as the axe head takes the unfortunate life of his co-worker as that lifeless body lays there on the ground, he still has the axe handle in his hand. As he stands there at that moment, he knows in his mind that there is only one place that he can go. 
If he goes back home, death will find him. If he goes to the leaders of his city, death will find him. If he continues working, death will find him. As he stands there with the lifeless body on the ground, he knows that there is no time to lose. He must, with all of his might, run to find that city of refuge. And he would drop that axe handle out of his hand and he would instantly begin to run with all of his might to find that place of refuge. And brothers and sisters, I think that's a wonderful picture for us to keep in our minds that we ought to do the same in our relationship with Jesus. That we should not allow anything to keep us. We should not make a delay in running to Jesus. You know, only eternity will tell us the tragic stories of people who delayed to give their hearts to the Lord. And I pray that we will not be part of that story, but that we will have made the right decisions in our life to run to Jesus every moment and not hesitate or delay in making the alter, alterations in our life that need to be done. She continues in Patriarchs and Prophets, and she makes this application. She says, the sinner is exposed to eternal death until he finds a hiding place in Christ. And as loitering and carelessness might rob the fugitive of his only chance of life, so delays and indifference may prove the ruin of the soul. Satan, the great adversary, is on the track of every transgressor of God's holy law. Can you see it in your mind? There were times when the fugitive would only be paces ahead of the avenger of blood. As he was running with all of his might, he did not get distracted by what was around him. He was not on his way to the city of refuge to admire the scenery. He wasn't looking at the hillside. He wasn't looking at the sheep. He wasn't looking at the babbling brook. In fact, he didn't even stop to get a drink of water because many times the avenger of blood was only steps behind him. And he would run, and he would run with all of his strength because he knew that his life depended upon it. And brothers and sisters, Satan is closer behind us than we might think sometimes. We might think that we've gained some vantage ground upon him, but he is swift afoot. And he will come and catch us up if we don't keep that ready pace, that constant pace up, running steadily and faithfully to Jesus every moment of every day. But the applications continue. Number one, the only place of safety was within the walls of the city of refuge. We go back to Joshua chapter 20. I told you to keep your finger there. Joshua chapter 20, looking at verse 4. The Bible says this. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among him. Before the man could come into the city of refuge, the Bible tells us that he had to do something first. What did he have to do? The Bible says he had to declare his cause. What's another word for that? He had to confess that he had done something. Now, now here is where the, the biblical illustration does not entirely fit. Because the man who confessed that he accidentally killed someone was allowed to come into the city. But if it was a premeditated murder, he was not allowed to come into the city. 
The city of refuge was not a place of safety for him. But the good news this morning is whether our sin is premeditated or not, if we have genuine repentance, Christ will forgive us for that sin and will provide refuge and safety for us. But before he could come in, there had to be a confession of his sin. He had to declare what he had done wrong. And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. That when we confess our sin in a specific way, not just in general terms, but the specific things that we have done wrong, that Christ will forgive us of those sins. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, jot it down in your notes if you would, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Listen to me this morning. If you are in Jesus, the city of refuge, if you find protection in his in a relationship with him, uh, the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But before you can get in Christ Jesus, you must first what? Confess. That you have sinned in that thing. In other words, specifically telling the Lord exactly what you are guilty of. And then as we do that, we can come into that city of refuge and find protection from the avenger of blood. Listen, the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he's going to accuse us and say, listen, they're one of my people. They did this and they did this. They've given their allegiance to me. Give them back. But when we confess our sins, we're telling the Lord, listen, my allegiance is not with the devil any longer, but my allegiance is with you. And so he grants us access to that city and that place of safety. Joshua chapter 20, verse 6, the story continues. This is the third application. The second application is that there has to be confession before we are allowed to embrace the safety of the city. Number three, Joshua chapter 20 and verse 6, the Bible tells us, and he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for, for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then <coughs> shall the slayer return and come unto his own city, unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Now, once he was granted access to the city of refuge, the Bible tells us that he had to stand before the congregation for what? For judgment. There was a judgment session that had to take place to determine if the murder was premeditated or if it was accidental. There was a little judgment session that happened, and they would, they would observe the, 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 the proof. And it couldn't just be, he couldn't just be proved guilty in the mouth of one witness, but it was in the mouth of two or three witnesses that he was either condemned or justified. So there was a judgment session that had to happen to determine what the long-term results of this man's life would be. The Bible not tell us that God has appointed a time in which he will judge the world? Has the Bible not told us that the hour of God's judgment is come? Now, the interesting thing is this. For the manslayer who killed somebody accidentally, did he look forward to the judgment, yes or no? The man who killed somebody accidentally, did he look forward to the judgment, yes or no? Yes, he did. Why? Because the judgment would prove his innocence. You see, for the righteous, the judgment is not a fearful thing. But the judgment for the righteous is something that they look forward to. 
They look forward to it because in the judgment, God proves that this man or this woman has been declared safe to be saved. That they are safe to give the gift of eternal life. That they are safe to give access to the tree of life. That they are safe to live in the kingdom of heaven forever. They are safe to save. For the righteous, they look forward to the judgment. But it's only those who embrace sin, whether it be every now and then, or on a continual basis. It's only those who fear the judgment because of what it might mean for their life. I pray this morning that we are of the other class, that as we find refuge and safety and forgiveness in our walk with the Lord, that we will look forward to the time when our names would be acquitted in the time of judgment. Amen? So number three, there is a time of judgment that would take place to determine the long-term results of this man's actions. Number four, keep your finger in Joshua. We're going to come back to that, but go with me to the book of Numbers. We're going to look at some advice that Moses gave. Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35, verses 26 through 28. Numbers chapter 35, verses 26 through 28. This is Moses talking here. Bible says this, and if the slayer shall at any time come without the borders of his city of refuge, whether he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. Let me ask you a question. Where was freedom for the fugitive? Was it inside or outside of the city? It was only on the inside. Freedom was on the inside. Freedom was there for him. But if he went outside of that city, according to Scripture, if he went outside of the city, he was fair game to the avenger of blood. And if the avenger of blood took his life, he was not guilty of doing that. Freedom was on the inside. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the fugitive complained about having to be inside that city, yes or no? Yes or no? You think he complained about that? Do you think he complained about how restrictive it was and all the differences that had to happen in his life, all the modifications that had to happen because he had to stay in the city? You think he complained about that? Uh -uh, He didn't complain about it. He was joyful. Because inside that city, his life was preserved. Scripture tells us in the book of John, John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Where is freedom? You see, the devil will like to get you to think that freedom is on the outside of a relationship with Jesus. The devil would like to get you to think that freedom equals doing whatever you want. But you know, doing whatever you want is not actually doing whatever you want. It's doing whatever the devil wants. Because you are either a servant of God or you are a servant of the devil. You are not a servant of yourself. It's either one or the other. So the devil tries to feed us this this, this lie that if we, don't have, if we don't have the restrictions of religion upon us, that we are free. 
When in reality, according to scripture, freedom comes from having the relationship with Jesus. Amen? Freedom is in that walk with the Lord. It's interesting to consider something else here. When this man or woman, whoever it may have been, took the life of somebody else accidentally and had to move to the city of refuge, were there some changes that had to happen in their life? Yes or no? Probably, right? I mean, I would imagine they may have had to get a new job. Uh, I would imagine that maybe they had to find new acquaintances. Uh, maybe they even dressed a little bit differently because of you know, the terrain of where they lived. I don't know. But I will guarantee you that there were changes that had to happen in their life. Because where somebody lives dictates how that person lives. Right? Where somebody lives dictates how they live. For an example, somebody here in Michigan might dress a little bit differently than somebody who lives in the islands of Fiji, right? Yes or no? Are you thankful for your parkas in the wintertime? Right? Why? Because where we live dictates how we live our life. For another example, somebody who, live, who lives in Bacolod, the Philippines, he, they might eat a little bit differently than somebody who lives in Newmarket, England, where I used to live when I was in England. Why? Because where they live dictates how they live their lives. Somebody who lives in Campbellsville, Kentucky, where we lived before we came here to Michigan, they talk a little bit differently than somebody who lives in Penang, Malaysia. Why? Because where they live dictates how they live their life. And if we are living in Jesus, that dictates how we live our lives. So the question is, where are we living? Some of us, are trying to sit on the wall and have one foot on the outside and one foot on the inside, and we try to do both. But you know what, that ha- what, what happens when you do that is it makes you go spiritually insane because the two of them are not compatible. It's one or the other. We have to, that's why Jesus says, I would that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. We have to choose one side or the other. Where somebody lives will dictate how they live. And if you choose to step on the outside of that city, that will dictate how you live your life. If you choose to step on the inside of that city, that will dictate how you live your life. And those of us that choose to find freedom in a relationship with Jesus, we ought not to complain when the Bible tells us the certain ways that we ought to live. Because those restrictions are not to take away our happiness, but they are to give us happiness. Would you say amen to that? God is not in the business of trying to make us sad and sorrowful and miserable. He wants to make us happy. He wants to give us what will genuinely bring joy and happiness in our lives. So that's the reason why Christians who choose to live in Christ, that's why we talk differently. We dress differently, we eat differently, we choose very carefully what we watch with our eyes than other people. We just, we act different because where we are living dictates how we are living. Should we complain about that, yes or no? Did the fugitive complain about living in the city of refuge? Mm -mm. No, he didn't because why? Because there he found life. 
he was able to live. Should we complain about living inside of Jesus, the city of refuge? When I meet people who complain about the spiritual restrictions of having a relationship with Christ, I wonder, do they really have a walk with the Lord? Because they haven't found joy in Jesus yet. When we find that joy in Jesus, those things are not bondage. Those things aren't restrictions, but those things are our source of happiness because it comes from our loving Father, Jesus Christ. Freedom. Freedom is not on the outside. Don't buy that lie. Freedom is on the inside as you walk with the Lord. Number five, our last one here, go, or uh, next to last one. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 3. Moses gives us another interesting point, and this, number 5, is one that is of particular interest and importance for us this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 3, the Bible says this. Thou shalt prepare thee a way... And divide the coast of the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit into three parts that, the, that every slayer may flee thither. What's the third word in that verse? Verse 3, thou shalt what? Thou shalt prepare thee a way. No matter where you lived in the, in the, in, in the nation of Israel, the city of refuge, a city of refuge, was no further away than a half a day's journey, about six hours by foot. Can you imagine running for six hours? Can you imagine walking for six hours? Right? This, this, was, this was quite a feat. But, but they were strategically placed, three on one side of the river, three on the other side of the river, and they were no further away than a half a day's journey that a man could get there and be able to find safety. But listen, during the time of ancient Israel, roads were not what they are today. How many of you are thankful for the smooth roads that you are allowed to drive on this morning at 45, 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, depending on where you're coming from, right? Smooth sailing, right? You know, you hit your cruise control and away you go. You just smoothly make your way to church. But during the time of ancient Israel, roads were not quite like that, and neither did they travel as fast as we do now. We live on a dirt road, and whenever it rains, you know, the, the road gets bumpy, and there are, there are potholes that come, and somebody has to come along and fill those things up so that the road can be driven down. And this is much the way it was during the time of ancient Israel. There, the roads were in disrepair. There were potholes. There were stones. There were sticks from storms. Uh, there were bridges that were broken down and various things like that. But when it came to the roads to the city of refuge, don't miss this point. The roads to the city of refuge were well maintained. They would remove all the obstacles. They would fill in any potholes, they would bridge over any rivers that needed to be bridged over. They would remove anything that would hinder somebody in their pursuit to find the city of refuge. In fact, custom tells us that during the time of ancient Israel, the elders of the different cities of refuge, twice a year, they would walk up and down the roads that led to the city of refuge to make sure that there were no stumbling blocks that would lead people to the city of refuge. As they would run along, there were big signs on the road. If there was a branch or a fork in the road, there was a big sign there that said refuge in big letters with an arrow pointing in the direction that the fugitive needed to go. 
everything was done to make the trip there as smooth as possible. Can you imagine if you're running from the Avenger of Blood and there's potholes that you've got to dodge and, and, and logs you've got to jump over and rivers you've got to ford and roads that you've got to figure out? No, 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 no. The person would die. So they maintained with meticulousness the roads that led to the city of refuge so that the person could find safety who needed it. Are you following the spiritual application? It's interesting to me that as Christ followers, not only have we been called to tell people the good news, but we've also been called to remove stumbling blocks out of their way. Now, let me be quick to say that for some people, the truth is a stumbling block, and we will not remove the truth of God's word. If somebody chooses to make that a stumbling block, so be it. I would rather use it as a stepping stone. But there are other stumbling blocks that can hinder people in their trip as they try to find Jesus. You remember the story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus was inside of a house and all of a sudden the roof opened up and a man was let down in a stretcher. You remember that story? Why did that have to happen? Why did they have to open up the roof? If you read it in Desire of Ages, she will tell you that there were so many people that were there, that the crowd was so thick, she says that you couldn't even get within earshot of the voice of Jesus. So what did they do? They opened up the roof, and I praise the Lord for people who, even if they do find roadblocks, continue in their persistence to find Jesus. And it's interesting, as you read that account, you will actually find that those who were the closest to Jesus, who were clogging up the way, who do you suppose they were? It was the disciples. It was his followers clogging up the way from those who needed Jesus the most. So they opened up the roof, and they let the man down, and he found not only physical restoration, but he found spiritual restoration as well, And we ought to think long and hard because Lord forbid that I am a stumbling block to somebody else. Lord forbid. That would be a tragic thing for me to find out that I was a stumbling block. What kind of stumbling blocks are we? Listen, one of the greatest stumbling blocks I believe that is hindering the, the advancement of the cause that is turning people away from God's church left and right, one of the greatest stumbling blocks, I believe, that I've discovered in my interaction with other people outside of our denomination are people who say one thing but do something else. Oh, I believe I have the truth, and this is this, and this is that, and they have all of these things lined up, but yet they are terrible people to be around. They say one thing, and they do something different. One of the greatest stumbling blocks that hinder the productivity and the advancement of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we ought to think long and hard, Father, am I a stumbling block? Because listen, I don't want to hinder anybody in their pursuit after Jesus. I want to help people. I want to be one of those elders that are walking up and down the road looking for barriers, looking for stumbling blocks, and moving them and throwing them to the side of the road, helping people along in their spiritual journey. In fact, I read one account that said that there were two men that were always on the road to the city of refuge, always on the road, lest the avenger of blood overtake the man and get ready to kill him, there could be somebody on the road to try to convince him not to do it. They were in the business of saving people. They did everything they can. They weren't throwing rocks at each other. They were trying to save one another. We get too busy sometimes throwing rocks 
instead of removing rocks. Putting things in the road to trip people up, but we think we're actually doing the work of God. Brothers and sisters, we should think about this because I don't want to be one that causes a brother or a sister to stumble. Listen to this, Signs of the Time, November 29, 1899. It says this, we are to exert a saving influence over those who are without God and without hope in this world. The pathway to the city of refuge is to be kept free from the rubbish of selfishness and sin. What are we to remove? The pathway to the city of refuge is to be kept free from the debris uh, or the rubbish of selfishness and sin. Those who profess to be following the Lamb of God are to take away every stumbling block out of the way. But, but too often, those who claim to believe the truth lay stumbling blocks in the way of others. Have mercy. We know the truth, but we're tripping people up. What a great, what a terrible thing. We ought to take time to think about that and ask the Lord to help us to not be one who hinders, but one who helps. Amen? That's what the story is about. Not one who hinders, but one who who helps. The story concludes in Joshua chapter 20 and verse 9. Joshua chapter 20 and verse 9. This is the last point. These were the cities appointed for all of the children of Israel. And for who? And for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee uh, flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. It's not just for us, brothers and sisters, but it's for the stranger that sojourns among us. Amen? We have good news. We have great news. In a world that's in upheaval. I mean, listen, even before all of these hurricanes and, 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 and earthquakes and natural disasters, the world was still in upheaval, but they just didn't know it. And these are only going to get worse and worse as time goes on. As the Spirit of God is withdrawn from this earth, we're told in inspiration that these calamities are only going to get worse. The devil, we're told, has studied the science of nature, and he knows how to manipulate things in such a way to cause national disaster and ruin on this earth. That is who he is. He is the father of destruction, and that's all he can do. He cannot do anything else. And as the Spirit of God is withdrawn, the devil just does what he naturally does well. It is only because the Spirit of God is withholding him from doing that that we have any safety or protection at this time. And as these natural things begin to take place, I hope it tells us or symbolizes, is a sign to us to wake up. And not only for us to wake up, but to help others wake up as well. Because there's good news. There are people in this world who are not just looking for physical refuge from floods and earthquakes and national disasters. But there are people who are looking for spiritual refuge, but they may not even know it. 
And wouldn't it be wonderful if you could get to heaven and you will see somebody who was looking for that refuge and you can meet them under the tree of life and they can thank you for what you have done and you can say, it's not me, but it was what Jesus did through me and in me. Wouldn't that be wonderful to find scores of people under the tree of life that we led to Jesus, the city of refuge? Psalms chapter 91, we're wrapping this up. Psalms 91 is a very special chapter, I believe. One that you should be very well acquainted with, maybe even memorize. For I believe it's applicable not only to the time that we are living in right now, but in the future when Revelation 16 and the seven last plagues are poured out. The Bible says this. Psalms 91, verses 9 and 10, it says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall, what does it say? Come on now. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Why? Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there will no evil, no plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. The Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 91, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Why is that? Because you have made the Lord your habitation. Don't you want to bring other people in on that? Don't you want to say, hey, come live with me in my habitation because there is a beautiful resting place. There is a beautiful uh, safety. This is not a, a, a hurricane-certified uh, house. <laughs> this is a disaster-certified house. This is a world-being-upturned-upside-down-certified house. This is a place that no evil can befall and that we'll be able to look out the window in the safety of its protection and see the devastation that will happen on this earth. I want to bring people inside of there, don't you? You know, it's interesting, in the early church, in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5, 42, write it down, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, the Bible says, they ceased not to teach and to preach. Who? Jesus Christ. How often? Daily. They were obsessed with the subject of Jesus they were obsessed because of what Jesus had done for them. They were obsessed because of what Jesus is doing for them. They were obsessed because of what Jesus purchased for them. They were obsessed with Jesus. And yes, some people thought they lost their minds, but they actually found it. They found it in a relationship with Jesus. And I think we ought to model ourselves after the New Testament church a little bit more often. And instead of putting doctrine first, put Jesus first and allow the doctrine to come behind it. They taught truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But they let Jesus be the one that opened the doors to the truth. Would you say amen? Daily. Daily. They were obsessed with Jesus, and they preached him every single day. We have a great opportunity. Unlock Revelation is coming. People are going to walk through our door who have never walked through this door for the, uh, before. It'd be the first time they'll sit in our church, in our sanctuary. They're going to occupy some of our pews. And the doctrine is only going to, the preaching of the doctrine is only going to do so much. What they're really going to be looking for is, do these people really love the Lord? Do they love people? 
Are they going to accept me with all of my warts and bumps, all of my, my idiosyncrasies? Are they going to accept me for who I am, or are they going to cast judgment upon me? Listen to me this morning, brothers and sisters. The preaching of doctrine will only do so much. I believe the greater part of the work that needs to be done in Unlock Revelation is showing the love of Jesus. And if we show the love of Jesus, it will fling the doors of their hearts open and they will naturally receive the doctrine of God's word because love of, the love of Jesus has paved the way for it. We've gotten things reversed in our, in our outreach. We think that just the preaching of the word is going to change the minds of people. But as we show them the unconditional love of Jesus, they will warmly embrace the truth and join our, their hands with ours in the great work that God has given to us to do. Let's tell other people about Jesus. <clears throat> Let's daily preach him. Let's become obsessed with him. Let's have an encounter with him. For it's hard to tell people about Jesus if you haven't met him yourself each day. Let's close. Father in heaven, we thank you for the refuge that you have provided for us in Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you have given to us to share Jesus with others. And Father, we have a great opportunity coming with all of these wonderful truths that you have given to us, what the Bible calls the everlasting gospel. And we want to share that, Father, but Lord, we're praying that between now and then, that we wouldn't just be so obsessed with praying about other people, but that we would take time to pray for ourselves, that our hearts will be ready that our attitude will be adjusted the way you want it to be, that in our minds and in our words and in our actions, in our, in our, in our, in our, in our face, that people will just see Jesus resonating out of us and desire the experience that we have. Father, we want to win souls for you. We want to pull people inside the refuge, the city of refuge in Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray. Give us the strength and give us the wisdom we ask. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.